You're on Radio 1, 91 FM, Politrix. And uh, with us on uh, encrypted calling via WhatsApp, uh, causing a slight delay, unfortunately, but we should be able to work through. We have Susie Dawson, the leader of the Internet Party, who is seeking asylum in Russia. Uh, we're calling her encrypted in Moscow now. Can you hear us, Susie? Yeah, I can hear you fine. How are you? Very good. Uh, great to have you with us. Now, tell us a little bit more about the Internet Party. We didn't hear anything from them uh, since the last election. And, of course, it was very controversial, the last election. Uh, what what made the people still involved decide to resurrect it? And how did uh, you come to be the new leader? Um, back in January, it was suggested to me that I should consider taking up the leadership. Um, I was pretty surprised because I hadn't envisioned myself as being a politician at all. I've been very engaged with political issues and with activism and independent media. Um, but I really did put some serious thought into it before deciding that I would go ahead with it. Basically, what really tipped the scales for me was Lila Hare was amazing to me in 2014. Um, she gave me incredible opportunities and I learned a lot from her and going back and watching her first speech um, when she was first announced as leader in 2014 she was talking about um, she was hoping to inspire women to stand up and um, to act on their political opinions and to not be afraid to participate in politics no. and I thought you know maybe we actually need some real people, some people who aren't um, schooled in politics necessarily to be able to advocate on behalf of the public and parliament. Now, why do you think they picked you? I mean, is it is it have to do with your sort of Snowden-esque uh, seeking of asylum in Russia? Um, I have, it would be fair to say I've got encyclopedic knowledge about um, issues that are related to Snowden and WikiLeaks and whatnot. I've been covering those issues, the New Zealand activism issues, for six years now. Um, I think they picked me for a variety of reasons. I mean, first of all, I actually saw firsthand what really went on in the 2014 campaign. I was an eyewitness to it and my journalism was based around those events and I was able to provide a very different narrative to what was being produced in the mainstream media. So I think that definitely had something to do with it. I think the fact that I have a really strong um, background in tech and IT had something to do with it as well because I know that they really wanted someone, you know, millennial, post-millennial generation who... Um, had been a, a computer user for their entire life and had professional IT um, credits. So, um, and also just, I had, um, I pretty much covered a who's who of politics in New Zealand um, by 2014. So I had the established relationships um, and the track record, really. So is there anyone who was involved in the party in 2014 um, who's still involved, I guess, you know, the the party had a bit of clout, you know, with the celebrity of Kim.com behind them. Do you guys have anything like that this election? I guess I did notice that uh, King Capizzi, uh, or... Are you there? Yep. Can you hear me? 
Sorry, yeah, just cut out for a second. Uh, so yeah, we do we do have some of um, a few major figures that were involved in 2014. Um, so Chris Young, who was um, Lila's number two. Oh, it's, sorry, can you hear me? Yep, we got you. Cool. So Chris Young, who was Lila's number two candidate, he was the winner of the candidate search in 2014. He is now the um, party president. He's president of the executive committee of the party. Um, and Bill O'Reilly and a few others from 2014 have also resurfaced in various roles in 2017. Um, but then we also have some new blood as well. And we very shortly will be launching a new candidate search, um, somewhat akin to the same process that we did in 2014, um, to try and find some more new talent as well to bring on board. Now, when you say you're looking for candidates, have you got any others lined up? Is there a deputy for you uh, sort of waiting in the wings, or are you solely going to be relying on the talent that emerges in this new search? Well, we've had um, a handful of people proactively approach us and um, say that they wanted to be candidates, but it's really important to us that we pretty much crowdsource everything we do. We crowdsource our policies, we crowdsource our candidates, and we're even crowdfunding at the moment. So um, we're really trying to put it in the hands of the membership. Now, I guess you guys were taken seriously at the last election because of the funding that you had behind you. Um, it seems like with Kim.com's ongoing legal sagas, that funding's not going to be available. Correct me if I'm wrong. How do you guys plan to fund this campaign, and do you have much hope for making an impact without significant funds coming from a major donor? Um, I think we've already had an impact just because we're doing things completely differently to anyone else. Um, we have released our strategic plans online, for everybody to see um, in the last election they were mysteriously leaked I think those documents but this time we've actually done a full presentation of all of our intellectual property for 2017 ourselves and you can um, see the, that live stream presentation on our YouTube channel if you look up Internet Party on, of New Zealand on YouTube um, we've also been live streaming some of the back end of our campaign, so you can actually go to get on YouTube and watch us doing what we do on the campaign, watch us developing content and talking about what we're going to do the next day, and then you can check back the next day and see us actually releasing that um, work on the public site. Um, our entire website is being open sourced on GitHub. Um, we've been really pushing the boundaries of political transparency in a way that I don't think any other party has ever done. How, how are you guys... The other thing is that, just to let you know, like, our, our view is not about the next two months. Like, one of the biggest issues in New Zealand politics is that everybody wants to kiss your baby until September 23rd. You know, everyone wants to have a coffee with you at the coffee shop to get your vote until September 23rd, but then do they want to kiss your baby on September 24th? You know, no, they don't. They just want the vote and they're just about the campaign. Uh, we are building initiatives and infrastructure for our party to carry us through the next three, six, nine, 12 years. So that was my mandate from the outset. I was told from the beginning, they don't want a leader for the campaign. They want a leader for the party and they want the party to have a future beyond the campaign.
How how are you guys going to measure the success of this new approach? I mean, is it strictly in number of YouTube views or Facebook likes? Um, what's the health of the party membership like? I I guess um, I I found it very surprising that you guys would be able to renew 500 members. There are still that many people enthusiastic about the party. Well, I think there's over 3,000 members um, still on the registry at the point of the annual return. So we're well above the 500 mark. Um, in terms of... And those, those forward, were... I have no idea of what that will eventually be. Those those members that were still on the registry, they had all been recontacted since the last election and were happy to keep participating? I can't speak to that. That really falls under our membership um, director and membership database but I can tell you that at the point of our annual return there was over 3,000 registered but but are those I mean those are basically still all the same people that registered in 2014 that had three-year memberships that would be lapsing around now correct I couldn't tell you the exact date that our memberships are lapsing I actually don't know that off the top of my head sorry um, I, I want to talk a little bit more about your personal situation because it's quite a unique situation. You're the only New Zealand journalist that I know of that's seeking asylum in Russia. Can you tell us a little bit more specifically about um, the persecution that you faced that drove you there? Sure. So um, if you get on YouTube, you can look up Diary of a Person of Interest, and that's the documentary that I made. Um, that recapped my um, activities and activism in New Zealand and in journalism and um, some of the experiences that me and my media team had. Um, so really, if you look back at 2014 and you read between the lines of the mainstream media headlines, you'll see things like Hone Harawera's office being shot at and Hone's car being driven off a cliff in Northland and um, you go back through the timeline of the types of things that I was experiencing, which was also during that campaign and in the years prior, actually, when I was working on the GCSB movement and the CPPA and Norway movement. Um, and there's really this consistent pattern of state agencies and private contracting agencies that they hire, um, taking interest in journalists and activists um, for political reasons which is actually against the founding charter of those agencies. So the Snowden revelations and the revelations about GCSB having spied on 88 New Zealanders have kind of given us the theory that this occurs, right? We, we've learned about how people are surveilled, how people are spied on. But the part of the story that's been missing is the stories of the targets, the people who they actually utilize the information they gather from spying to target and if you go back through the history of activism in New Zealand you'll find this kind of targeting throughout history you'll find suffragettes being beaten on the streets and divorced and losing their jobs and their houses and their kids and their families you'll find like members of the protest actions in the 81 Springbok tour and right through to 1987 in the anti-nuclear movement experiencing the same kind of targeting where the whole of government is used to interfere with their lives and their livelihoods and um, negatively impact their reputations. So we saw the same thing in the Dirty Politics scandal where Nikki Hager writes in the book Dirty Politics that 
he wanted to protect the identities of the journalists involved, but that there were dozens of journalists who had been targeted by this dirty politics cabal, which at that time included the Minister of Justice and Police. No. So, if you couple the theory together with the practical experiences of those people on the ground, you discover that this is not a myth. This is something that's consistently been perpetuated against activists and against journalists. No, I, I agree with you that other um, you know activists and journalists have been targeted in the past uh, in New Zealand, but I note that, I mean, the targeting, n- none of them felt that it was so serious that they felt they had to flee the country or seek asylum elsewhere, and a lot of them are still operating, continuing to reveal inconvenient truths for the government and seem to be getting on just fine with it. What, what was different about your situation that you felt you had to flee to Russia? Well, I don't think any of them would say that they're getting on just fine. I think you'll find that actually they, I mean, I know for a fact from one ex, um, ex-member of parliament um, who told me when I interviewed them that I, I said to them, well, while you're an MP, did you continue being targeted? And they said no, but the morning after I was no longer an MP, I was targeted again. So even people who have been in government and who have agitated um, the powers that be have experienced targeting. But why my case was so severe, there's really two reasons. One is that I was directly being associated with all three of the top targets of the prosecutor at the Eastern District Court of Virginia. So I was being associated with WikiLeaks because they were actively sharing my work and because I've been an active supporter of them since 2010. And WikiLeaks is the number one intelligence target in the Western world. I was also extensively covering and supporting Snowden and I've done a lot of analysis of Snowden documents and other work surrounding that. Um, and also my association with Kim.com. So the fact that I was, and I mean, it tracks right back even to 2011, I was in communications with um, Brigitte Jones-Dotter, who's the leader of the Iceland Pirate Party. Um, I was having private DMs with her about things that were happening in New Zealand and the targeting of me at the same time that her Twitter records were subpoenaed by the Department of Justice in America. So it wasn't just the SIS or just the GCSB who was targeting me. And we learned in 2015, and sorry, August 2016, that the 88 targets of the in New Zealanders who were targeted by the GCSB were referred by the GCSB to the NSA. So our government actually had a foreign government target us and they used their you know ex-key score and whatnot to target us so unfortunately i found myself not just at living at the whim of the new zealand agencies but also being directly affected and impacted by the international agencies what what do you think would happen to you if you were to return to New Zealand? I mean, I note that, you know, people like Nikki Hogger, people like Kim.com, who, who have stayed here and faced the persecution head-on, it almost adds more credibility to their cause, uh, and people can see what's actually happening. And I guess, uh, in your case, there's some level of incredulity as to the the level of seriousness of what's gone on. I mean... These guys are people who are revealing original source materials from government agencies, whereas, you know, your journalism has covered all these issues well, but it doesn't strike me that you have been the um, 
leaker or the breaking source of any particularly damaging materials, just really reposting sort of articles uh, from public domain information. I was the number one social media influencer on the GCSB movement. I worked on it for four months before there was ever a public event or anything else. I brought on some of the major public figures who then worked on that movement, personally approached them and um, told them why it was so important that we'd pursue that. And then I actively worked on that right up through all of the events that followed in the GCSB. If you actually go through the social media analytics, you'll find that I was number one at over a thousand posts. Martin Bomber Bradley, who I brought onto that campaign, was number two at 500. So that's just one of the move, major movements that I worked on. I'm also one of the co two co-creators of the #TPPAnoWay hashtag, which we circulated to number two worldwide. My journalism was being picked up by RT.com. It was being republished in Business Insider. I was being referenced by David Seaman. I'm one of only two journalists who was being republished, uh, sorry, not republished, retweeted and recommended by WikiLeaks. I think WikiLeaks has shared my work in 2014, 2015, 2016, and 2017. The idea that I didn't stick around is kind of ridiculous because I covered over 50 live actions. I was um, being persecuted from the first break-in in my home in 2011 until actual attempts on my life in 2000 and late 2014. Um, so I actually went through four years of being aggressively targeted. Now the difference between me and someone like Nikki Hager is that Nikki Hager is an established journalist for, with 20, 30 years experience who everybody knows what he works on and the nature of it. I was a single mother of two kids from Beach Haven. People did not understand what was happening to me. Yet if you track back through my social media history, you can see photos of my car, my slash car tires, photos of mechanics pulling um, instruments out of my uh, tires that have been used to pierce them. You can see photos of my burned out engine in my car. You can see the tweets of me um, actually describing where they just tried to drive me off a cliff. And these are all time stamped and dated on the exact days that they happened. The other exacerbating factor is that I had been working anonymously. Because I'm a solo mum of two kids, I did not want to endanger my family or people around me. So I actually worked under pseudonyms. It was only after there were attempts on my life that I came out and said, hey, this is who I am, this is my name, this is what I've been doing. So I was in a situation where the agencies knew who I was and they were getting away with targeting me because of that. But the public didn't necessarily knew, know who I was. So there's over 100 live videos of me covering actions on YouTube in New Zealand on the ground. They include interviews I did with Selwyn Manning, Phil Goff, Bomber Bradbury, multiple with Lila Hare, multiple with um, Mama Davidson, multiple with Tony Harawita, multiple with Kim Jokong. Uh, the list goes on and on. Jeanette Fitzsimons. I interviewed a who's who. And I was breaking stories about New Zealand activism into the world media. And I was creating hashtags and social media campaigns that were getting traction around the world. So that was why they were so keen to silence me, because I was breaking the news from New Zealand outside of New Zealand. And there's a big hole in that regard, actually, since I've left. And that's one of the things that I really regret the most. I don't regret 
that I had to leave because I know I had to for my own safety. It was not because I wanted to. I did not give up everything that I had, you know, for kicks or because I thought it was a good time at all. But I regret every time there is an action and I'm not there on the front line taking photos and videos and telling the world what's going on. That's the real kicker for me. To that degree, they actually have silenced me. Now, you've mentioned quite an all-star cast of supporting characters uh, just then. What would you say to those people like Lila, like Bomber, who seem to have backed away from your cause? They're not supporting the Internet Party. They say you guys are hurting more than you're helping. What would you say to them? Well, that's the same criticism that was leveled against them in 2014. I haven't heard Lila say that. In fact, Lila reached out to me very nicely and said, um, good luck and all the best with it. I hope it works out. So I don't, unless you can give me a direct quote to the contrary, I don't think Lila said that at all. Um, Bomber Bradbury came out and said, yes, he knew I was being targeted. He knew it was happening at the time. He actually wrote a statement in support of me on his blog. So I don't think that he's probably a reference point for that either. Um, if they have other political affiliations, that's entirely their own choice and their own volition. I would never criticize them for it. Okay, well, and just to finally finish up, like, as part of the campaign, uh, do you think you'll be coming back to New Zealand, or are you still actively fearing for your life if you were to set foot on New Zealand soil? Well, if they were... I mean, look, there's two issues here. The first is that... The, the extent to which they were targeting me and getting away with it before I left, I don't think is going to be improved by the fact that I have been in Eastern Europe and, and outside of their reach. So I, I don't think that unless some serious light is shone on the kind of activities that they get up to extrajudicially every single day, and unless there is finally some accountability for the fact that agencies which are not supposed to act for political reasons have been aggressively targeting people for their own political expediency, unless there's some accountability, that's probably not going to change. I'd like to think that, you know, if in 2020, 2023, I end up in Parliament, that then, based on my experience of interviewing MPs who have been targeted, perhaps they would have to leave me alone for the term that I'm in Parliament. But this is really not about getting into Parliament, and it's not about me coming back to New Zealand. This is actually the Internet Party and everything about our campaign is to update New Zealand politics and update the system. It's not just about one vote every three years. It's not about kissing babies and having coffee at the coffee shop. It's about we have a 200-year-old electoral system that never changes other than to increase pay, you know, give pay increases to MPs. But, like, when we ask people, what has Parliament done for you in the last 12 months? No one can answer that question. And people don't trust the government. People don't trust politicians. And there is no transparency. People don't even trust the statistics that the government puts out. What? And why should they? People don't trust the media. What is and you- so we, we've got to change the way the system works. And what is your realistic goal for this election? I mean, have you guys already achieved your goals just by doing things differently? Is there a certain um, number of views or shares that will be considered successful to you? Or are you just waiting on election day? Is there a certain percent you hope to achieve? You know, what, what will be success as far as you're concerned this time around? I think 
I think um, if we compare it to the historical record, then success will be existing in 2018. It will be having a plan for 2020, you know, a couple of years ahead. So one of the big things that we're doing at the moment is actually working with the international pirate parties. And we've um, aligned ourselves with them and intend to apply for full member status with them. Because this is an international problem. Everything that we face in New Zealand, all the after effects of neoliberalism that we see everywhere, this is international problems because other shots for our country are not being called in Wellington, they're not being called in New Zealand at all. New Zealand is, is part of the Five Eyes, which means that those five countries, are, their security agencies are operating outside of the political process. They, they are the real power behind the scenes behind the baby kissing and the one vote every three years. These are the guys that are calling the shots every single day. And we have to have the courage to tackle that issue and the many other issues. Hey, well, thank you so much for joining us, Susie, all the way from Moscow. It's well past 2 a.m. where you are, so that shows a certain level of commitment to the New Zealand voters, and uh, (laughs) we wish you all the best. Look, I, I didn't quit my activism even when I left the country. If you, if anyone takes the time to actually go back through my hundred-something thousand tweets um, on my activism Twitter account, they'll, they'll see me still pushing TPPA no way even long after I was gone. So I, my heart is always going to be in fighting for our, our country and for our rights, whether that is in politics or in parliament or whether it's on the streets or whether it is from Russia. You know, it's in my blood and I feel that it's all of our duty and I'm going to keep doing that. And I'm really lucky that I'm working with amazing people who feel the same way and who are willing to take personal and political risks to try to give some solutions to New Zealanders. And the last, just the last point I'd like to make for you is that all of our policies come from our supporters and from our members. And if you jump on our website, internet.org.nz, you can see our, all of our policy platforms are on our Lumio. And you can jump in there. You can talk about cryptocurrency or blockchain. You can talk about housing as a human right and how houses are for living in, not for commodities and for you know, a monopoly gang like we've seen that has resulted in the kind of homelessness and social issues that we see all over New Zealand right now. You can have a say on whether we should ban petrol and diesel and get everyone driving electric cars like France has just said that they want to ban petrol by 2045. You can pledge your own policies and have us work on them. So we we want to find ways for people to engage in the political system in ways that they don't get to with the conventional parties and with the, the current system. Well, that is very uh, interesting, and thank you so much for joining us, Susie, and uh, we will watch with interest uh, what happens with the Internet Party this election. Thank you so much.